So we're continuing our series on Shut the Front Door. These are areas of our life that we're letting the devil have easy access in because of things we refuse to let out. Either we're not repenting of it, we're not asking for God's help, but these are the areas the devil is getting control of us, and we need to stop it. If we don't, we're never going to have the kind of Christian relationship with our Heavenly Father that we need to be. And we're never going to see some of the things we're praying for come to pass. We won't see marriages restored and families reunited. We won't see the healings. We need to get our relationship with God fixed. And these are the kind of things that are keeping it from happening. So today we're talking about a subject that some of us know a lot about. It's something called pride. Now we all know prideful people uh, and it kind of looks like this. Yeah, that's smart. Let me put it this way. Have you ever heard of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates? Yes. Morons. Really? But, you know, thank God, uh, not all of us are like that. Uh, you know, uh, or maybe not all of you are like that. I struggle with these pride issues. C.S. Lewis, who wrote a book called Mere Christianity, as well as several others, had a chapter in it just on pride, and he said something interesting. He said this. He said, pride is the greatest human fault. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular, and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves and the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. Isn't it horrible to be around prideful people? It's just terrible, right? Especially when you are a prideful person, because there's usually only room for one of those in the room. And they really irritate us when we when run these other, other prideful people. Uh, so what is this big deal about pride? Why, why are we focusing on it? And why does C.S. Lewis and so many Christian writers talk about it? Well, because the Bible teaches us that pride is one of the things that will actually destroy us. Now, you may have heard a scripture quoted, uh, you may not know it's a scripture, you may have heard somebody say, pride goes before a fall. Or maybe they even went all King James on you. Maybe they said, pride goeth before a fall. Uh, that's actually a misquote of a scripture that's in Proverbs. The real scripture goes like this, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit goes before a fall. What the Bible is actually showing us here is that there's a difference between pride and a haughty spirit. And a haughty spirit will give you a fall, but pride will destroy you. And they're actually the, both on the same spectrum. You know, you kind of get a haughty spirit because that's an attitude. And eventually it becomes part of you, a personality trait. It becomes part of who you are. And that's when pride is settled into your heart. A haughty spirit you may recover from, but when you get prideful, it will destroy you. Uh, there's a bookend scripture to this that's actually another place in Proverbs. It's in Proverbs 15 instead of 16. And it says, The fear of the Lord is instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. This is like the other end of that, right? Where what this is saying, look, if, if you fear the Lord, which means you know who he is, you know how powerful and how great and awesome he is, then that's where wisdom begins. But before all this, you have to be humble. If you're humble, that's when you get the honor, and that's when you come before the Lord humbly. That's when you get the instruction from the Lord. Now, what's the difference then between humility and pride? Well, pride is concerned with who is right. Humility is concerned with what is right. If you ever want to know it, which one you are, just, just watch yourself in these situations where you're discussing things. A lot of times people would rather be right than have the right thing done. As long as they come out of the argument or the discussion looking good, in their opinion, uh, everything's fine. It doesn't almost matter what gets done. There's a lot of people like that. Uh, some of them seem to be running our country right now. But it's just like, as long as I look good on television, everything's fine. What I don't care about so much about what really needs to be done. So we have to be careful about pride. The Bible warns us about it. And I'm going to show you two different examples in the Bible. One's going to give us an example of a haughty spirit. 
and one's going to give us an example of pride. And I want you to watch carefully what happens to them because it's instructive for our lives. Now, the first guy is a king of Israel that you would have heard of. His name's David, probably the greatest king uh, in history and, and certainly the greatest king in Israel. He united the kingdom. He kills Goliath famously, and, and he has all these great things. He, he expands Israel to its greatest point before he hands it over to his son. Uh, there's a lot of great things that David did. He was a poet. He was a warrior. You know, uh, a, lot of, a lot of great things full of the Bible. And he has the greatest epitaph ever. He, 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 they say he, he was a man who had a heart after God. That's great. And if that's how, when you're all done with your life, that's what they tell you. Boy, that was a person who had a heart after God. That's something you can be proud of. This I'm going to relate to you today, though, is not necessarily one of his most proud moments. It's actually one of his most haughty moments. So let me show you. This, is, this takes place in First Chronicles 21. Then Satan rose up against Israel and moved against David to number Israel. Now, it's interesting the Bible tells us flat out that, that Satan rose up against all of Israel. And he does this by attacking the leader because that's usually what he does. Now, he comes to David for a very good reason. David has united God's people again. They were, shit, they were, they were kind of scattered before he came, but he united the kingdom together. And anytime he's come together like that, when God's people come together united, that's a stronghold for the kingdom of heaven. A stronghold for the kingdom of heaven is something that makes hell and Satan very frightened. You know, they, he's very frightened of the strongholds for heaven because he wants to have his own strongholds in the area. So he needs to stop David and what David's doing. He's unifying the people and he's bringing them back to the Lord. He needs to stop that. What he does is he works on David's haughty spirit and says, what you need to do is number the people. Now, we don't really know exactly why uh, this was such a bad thing because the Bible doesn't explain it in detail. But there are only two reasons why you would number the people. One is to raise taxes, uh, and one is to raise an army, neither one of which is really to bring glory to God, which is what David is supposed to be doing. David is God's king. He's been chosen to be God's king, and he's been bringing, he's been bringing glory to God all along, but now he's going to number the people so he can raise taxes and raise an army. Now, why would you do such a thing? Well, you're going to do that because you want to expand your borders. Up until now, David has always worked with a volunteer army. The people of Israel have volunteered to fight with him. And they followed him because they knew he was following God. Now, he didn't always have the number of people he would like to have for a battle, but it didn't matter because he always had God with him. He was God's king, and he was leading God's crusade, and he was doing the things God wanted to be done, and everything was working for him. But now you see what's happened is he's been successful, and now he's built his palace, and now he's in Jerusalem, and he's kind of looking around. And he's starting to feel a little bit less like the shepherd boy that's doing God's will and a lot more like a king who's living in the lap of luxury. And that's where we really kind of start needing to worry about things because even if we've been doing the work of God and we've been doing the willing of God and we've been doing the right things, when things start going well, we sometimes have a tendency to sit back and say, wait a minute, I think I'm going to relax a little bit. Maybe I'm going to go ahead and do something for me for a change. I have a little bit of me time here. And so the, the devil kind of works on that a little bit. David, don't you think you deserve this? You should, do, you should have a standing army. You can send your captain out, and he can be doing your fighting for you. You can sit back in, in the palace. Don't you think you should be like 
the other kings. Why don't you get to be like the other kings? And so David's listening to this, and so he goes and he tells his captain of the guard, the head of his army, Joab, uh, to go and number all the people. Now, Job is not exactly a pinnacle of faith and prophecy in the Bible. He's, he kind of has blood on his hands, a lot of things. He's, he's not afraid to do what needs to be done. He'd fit right into the Game of Thrones character list. Uh, but even he uh, is not so sure this is a good idea, which should have been a cue to, uh, to David that it wasn't a good idea. Joab says, look, may the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are, but my Lord, the king, are they not all your servants? Why do you need to number them? They're all your servants. Who cares how many there are? Why does my Lord seek this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt to Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Job. But so Job's actually said, look, we don't need to do this. This is evil. This is an evil thing. Even he knew that David was supposed to be a different king and not like all the others. And even he knew that, that God didn't want him to do this. So David should have certainly listened to this, but, uh, but he didn't. So here's the thing. When things are going badly in your life, the challenge is to trust the Lord. It gets difficult sometimes when things are going hard to continue to trust the Lord. When things aren't going well in your marriage, when things aren't going well in your work, when things aren't going well at home, you know, there, things aren't going well in school. It's hard to trust the Lord in these hard times. But when things are going well, our challenge is to remember God. Because when things go well, like what's going for David, everything's going fine. It's easy to kind of forget the important part God has played in all of our successes. In fact, there's this great proverb uh, in Proverbs 37 through 9. It says this, Two things I ask of you. Do not deny them to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. I want you to see that he says falsehood and lying because he's going to show something else here. Remove falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. See, poverty is falsehood and riches is lying. This is what he's saying. He's saying that these two things are actually lies. Both of them, both poverty and both riches, because what really matters is if you're with the Lord. That's all that matters. And the rest of it is just fake. And that's what he's saying. He says, they're falsehood and they're lies. Remove them from me. Uh, he says, feed me with the food that I need. If I don't, then it, it, and nothing more. Just the food that I need. Or I'll be full and deny you and say, who's the Lord? He knows. He says, if I get fat and happy, I'm going to forget who the Lord is. Don't let me get there. Just give me the food that I need, nothing more. Uh, and if I'm poor, if I'm too poor, he says, I might steal. It might lead me to do desperate things. What I want you to do, Lord, is keep me between those two. I don't, want to, I don't want either of the lies. I don't want poverty and I want riches. I just want you giving me what I need for the day. That's a very righteous prayer, by the way. And that would have been a really good thing for David to remember. But instead, he doubles down. He forces Joab to go out and number the people because he needs to raise taxes, raise an army, so he can send them out to start conquering more land uh, to, to, to call under his name. Okay, uh, that doesn't go well. And we go back to Chronicles and we pick up there. God was displeased with this thing. So he struck Israel. Now, I'm not going to go into exactly how God did that and what he did, but it wasn't pretty. Uh, there, there's a price to be paid for this haughtiness, believe me. And when David sees that, he says to God, I've sinned. I've, son I've sinned greatly, in fact, in that I have done this thing. But now, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very, very foolishly. So as soon as he sees that God has stepped in, he realized, what, what was I thinking? I should have never done this. He immediately brings himself to the Lord with humility. He says, please take this away. Now again, there's a price that's going to be paid, but God does take it away. And he allows David to remain as king. David will finish out his entire life 
as king. He will stay the king of Israel. See, you can get up again from a fall. You can. David fell because he had a haughty spirit. Got a little bit full of himself. Started to act like big shot. Got haughty. Disobeyed God. And he fell. But he got up again. You can get up from a haughty spirit. You can get up from a fall. But when it settles into your heart, when it is turned into pride, it is disease that will rot your heart and it seeks to destroy you. So let me shoot now up into Second Chronicles and let's talk about a different king. You may not have heard of this guy. His name is Uzziah. In Second Chronicles 26, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. That's a tough time to be king, by the way, when you're 16. Because you've got to rule that kingdom. And if you don't do it right, you're not going to make it to your 17th birthday. That's kind of the downside of being king. When things don't go well, there's uprisings. So he's rightly afraid of how to rule. So what does he do? He turns to the Lord. Watch. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to everything that his father had done. So he saw his father, saw what he had done right, and says, I'm going to emulate that. Now watch this. He sought God in the days of Zechariah. Zechariah was a prophet. So he sought the prophet of the Lord, which is saying he's seeking God speaking in his life. He's going to the prophet and saying, I need for you to explain to me what God wants me to do. This is very humble. He's a king, but he's going to a prophet who, by the way, wasn't rich, fancy, or, or influential. But that's okay. He's humbling himself, saying, I need God's word in my life. So he goes to Zechariah, because Zechariah had an understanding of the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. So that worked great. And for many, many years, by the way, this works for him. He keeps going to the Lord. He keeps asking what he should do. He humbles himself before the Lord. The Lord is pleased with this. And the Lord not only gives him the answer to his questions, he sees that he prospers. Isn't that wonderful? Well, there's a problem coming. And that is, after a while, we become fat, dumb, and happy. And we stop asking God what he wants. In fact, we stop giving God credit for what he's done. Listen, I know that everybody's afraid of going through hardships. You know, the, the most time I get a phone call or a text or something from somebody is because they're going through some hardship in their life. And, you know, we're, we meet you there and we pray for you. But I'm not as worried about you when you're going through hardships. I, I, I care for you and I'm worried about the hardship, sure, but, but I, I'm not worried about your faith. And that's because of this. Every Christian who's lost faith because of hardship, there's a thousand who've lost it due to blessings. You, you know where, I, where we lose people? When good things happen. They got that girlfriend. They got that boyfriend. They got that husband. They got that wife. They got the new house. They got the new job. They got the new car. Whatever it is, they got the new child. They got the grandchild. Then, we, then it just, just disappear. It's amazing how fast blessings make us forget the one who gave us the blessings. Did you ever give a present to a child at Christmas? And they loved the present so much they forgot to even say thanks doesn't feel so good. You know, hey, I'm the one who gave that to you. You know, I gave it to you because of our relationship. And now you can't even say, thank you. You just rush off, you know, and that's all that matters to you. And you start feeling like, well, you, all you want me for is things. And it doesn't feel so good. How, how do you think God feels? As soon as things go well in our lives, we don't need you anymore, God. I'll come back when I need you. Boy, thanks for being there in the hard times. If I need you again, I'll let you know. But I got this now. And this is exactly what happened to our King Uzziah. When he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. So when he became a strong king, lots of army, lots of money, his heart was lifted up. So that's a, that's a prideful heart. 
He transgressed against the Lord his God. Now watch what he does. He enters the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now, in those days, the temple was a very special place. and It was set up a certain way. And there's an area of the temple that only the priest was allowed to enter. The priest could go in the Holy of Holies. God was very clear on this. The king ruled the civil area, the civic area of, of his kingdom. But he would establish his own priests, his own prophets to... to talk to. And they were to operate as the spiritual leaders of the kingdom. Now, David was probably as close to a spiritual king as we'll ever see in all of Israel, uh, because he really was. I mean, he, he praised the Lord. He wrote psalms. He did many things to spiritually lead the people, but he never did this because he wasn't allowed. The Lord separated these two things, and he did that deliberately because he wanted to always let people know that the God will speak no matter who's on the throne, God will still speak to the people. You don't need to worry about that. He will always speak to the people. And so that's why he kept them separate. That's why Moses was not the same as Aaron. He always gave a separate part to those people. No matter how important the leader was, the priesthood always mattered, O Lord. And he set it aside this way. Well, Isaiah said, well, I'm going to just go ahead and do it. Because he wanted to be seen as the religious and civil leader of the people. And you know why? Because all around him, all the kings worshipped his gods. He's not even allowed to go into the worship of his god. And he's like, well, you know what? I need to start taking care of that right now. I'm going to start becoming the spiritual leader of the people. And that's the first step to doing the next thing, which all the other kings are doing, and that's how the people worship him. And that's where he's heading. He's heading there. Pride has settled into his heart. So he says, I don't need the priesthood watch. I'm going to just go in and do it. So he went in to the Holy of Holies. And Azariah, the priest, went in after him. And with him were 80 priests of the Lord. And the Bible says they were valiant men. They were brave and they're courageous because the king could have them all killed. They're walking into the temple to stand before him, stand the gap against him and say, no, we're going to stand up for the Lord. And we're going to say, you can't do this thing. They're going to make a stand for the Lord, even though it might cost them their lives. They're very brave men. They withstood the king, and they said to him, It is not for you, Isaiah, to burn incense to the Lord. It is for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of this sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You have no honor from the Lord God here. So they're standing in front of him for what is right. And see, this is one of the ways you know, by the way, you've overstepped. This is one of the ways you know pride has entered into your life. Because what you're saying is, God's word doesn't matter to me. I'm an exception. And you think that's crazy? I meet people like this all the time. Yeah, 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 I know that God says something about, you know, remember the Sabbath day. But that doesn't apply to me. Because my job's important. Because as long as my job's important, I don't have to listen to that ten, one of the Ten Commandments. I don't need to do that. There, there are people all the time who think that adultery doesn't apply to them. Yeah, that's other people. There are people who believe that, oh, I know God said something about, you know, I shouldn't be having relations with a, a woman outside of marriage. But that's other people. That's not me. God's word doesn't apply to me here. This thing about lying doesn't apply to this. This thing about trespass doesn't apply here. I know better. God's word doesn't apply to me. And when you're talking like that, you better be careful because you're talking from a prideful heart. And this is going to destroy you. It ends up destroying Isaiah. So they've said, look, you can't just say God's law doesn't apply. You can't say God's word doesn't apply to you. It doesn't work that way. You may be king, but he's God. And you've got to remember that, but he doesn't. In fact, he gets angry. Isaiah became furious. 
And he grabbed a censer with his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the incense altar. So he's sitting there getting angry, you know. You ever see someone get so angry that like that vein that pops out <laughs> of their forehead? Well, he did that, only leprosy popped out. And I actually believe that what's happened is God is simply saying, you know what I see? I see leprosy all the way down to the heart, and he just revealed it to everybody on his head. Because this is what's going on. When pride settles in your heart, it's like leprosy's in your heart. And it's just eating it away. Now, leprosy, by the way, was a death sentence in those days. There was no cure for it. All they could do was ostracize you and keep you away. And at the point you become a leper, everybody's afraid to touch you. Everybody's afraid to be around you. And at that point, Azariah and the chief priest and all the priests looked at him. And there on his head, he was leprous. So they grab him. They thrust him out. He was hurried. They hurried him to get him out because the Lord had struck him. So quick, before the rest of him becomes leprous, let's throw him out of here. They threw him out. And King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He was destroyed by his pride. He was not king any longer, by the way. Someone else would take his place. The difference between the Holy Spirit and pride is you don't come back from it. Pride leads you to destruction. It is meant to destroy you. But we should know this because James talks about this in James 1. But each of us is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. And lust has many purposes. Lust for power is certainly one of them. And that's what Isaiah had. Then when lust has been conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully born, it brings forth death. This is the idea. And here's one of the reasons why the prideful spirit is so deadly. Because it will keep you from the only one who can help you. Because if you're perfect, why do you need Jesus? I don't know if you know any perfect people. I meet them every now and then, you know. And everything you say, it's like, you know, they're always right. Always right. This is certainly a sign of pride. And boy, if you're always right, then why would you need Jesus? You're always right. You're always perfect. In fact, he says that to, to the Pharisees when he comes and he's with everybody. Now, now, one of his disciples is actually a tax collector. And the tax collectors are bad guys in the Bible because they're actually appointed by the Roman governor and they were Jewish and they, collect, they collected taxes from the people. And the reason they were so hated was because what they would do is uh, the Roman government would say, look, here's how much money we need. We don't care how much you collect. We just need this. And so it was a way to get rich. Basically, what would happen is the, the Roman government would back a tax collector. And so the tax collector came and told you that you owned, a, you know, I don't know, a thousand shekels, whatever that means, uh, and you really only owed a hundred, uh, you would have to pay all a thousand. And then they would pay a hundred to Rome and they'd keep 900 shekels from themselves. So it was a really good business to be a tax collector. They were very well known for being cheats. Everybody hated them because they collected Roman tax and they actually threw their own profit on top of it, right? So they're considered the, the chief of sinners were tax collectors. And Matthew was a tax collector. So he's at, uh, he's at Matthew's house eating with Matthew's friends whom are all tax collectors. And the Pharisees see this and they come to the disciples and say, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? Notice they go to the disciples because their, their move is always to try to chip away at those who support Jesus. If they can get everybody to leave Jesus, it doesn't matter what he does. So they're always trying to do that. They're always trying to break up his followers. So they go to him. They said, look, you're, look, he's with sinners all the time. He's with sinners. That's not what a rabbi would do. And Jesus hears them, of course, and he says, look, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. See, if you're not sick, you don't need a physician. And if you're perfect, you don't need Jesus. That's the problem. When we're full of pride, we no longer turn to the one we need. 
Because the only way you can come to God is through humility. If you come prideful, God doesn't accept the present, doesn't accept the sacrifice, doesn't accept the offering. You can't come before God prideful. You come before God humble. Because if you know who you're coming before, you realize your pride's no good here. No matter how proud you think you are, you're nothing in front of God. And when you realize that, then you can come to God. But you won't come to God if you're prideful. Because you don't need him. Okay. The other thing about the pride we have to remember is pride created the devil. Now remember that God wants us to be his children. And when, when he comes in our lives, the purpose is to make us like him. So people look at, oh, look, there's a child of God. That's the purpose of our relationship. One of the biggest purposes of our relationship. We should be able to, by our lives, make other people want to be Christians. I don't think we're doing a very good job of that, but that's what we're supposed to be doing. But if we're full of pride, we're not like Jesus. We're like the devil. The devil actually was created through pride. This comes from Ezekiel 28. But he's prophesying. He says, look, thus says the Lord God. God's speaking to Satan here. You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. He had this like gorgeous robe, right? Every precious stone. And the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets, it was all there. Like everything was perfect. Not just the stones, but the gold it set in was absolutely perfect. On the day you were created, everything was prepared. You were the anointed guardian angel. I placed you there. He put him in the Garden of Eden. He said, I placed you there to be a guardian of Eden, to to protect it, to watch over it. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. So it's like all the things in, in heaven. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your gifts you were internally filled with violence. See, because you loved your gifts so much, you had this inner turmoil and pride began. And you were, you, were, you were sinful. And therefore, I have cast you out from the mountain of God. Watch this now. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. Isn't it, isn't it kind of ironic that God creates this beautiful creature and it covers him with beautiful things? And he says, you know what? I'm beautiful, and I'm proud of it. And he forgets that God created him. How many times do we look at these gifts that God gave us, and we just completely forget God gave them to us? I'm pretty good at speaking. I'm pretty good at getting that job. I look pretty good in this suit. I did that. We always look at these things that we did. I, I can handle this. I'm good at making friends. I'm good at this. I can do this. What are we doing? We're saying, I'm doing it. We've, we've left God out. God created you. Every gift you have, he gave you. And he said, look, this is what happened to the devil. He grew proud of his own beauty, which I gave him. And I cast him out because of the violence in his heart. See, there is nothing that will strain a relationship more than a prideful heart. And, and I promise you, if you want to know, if, if you have a prideful heart, ask those closest to you because they all know. Because if you're always running around and, uh, you know, there's, there's never anything wrong with you, you're wearing the people around you out. I promise you. I promise you you are. You might think, well, it's really good because they like being around me. <laughs> they don't. You know, it's really funny because when I first, you know, started in relationships, I thought, wouldn't it be great if the woman married the perfect man, that perfect man was me. You know, it's like, I'm the perfect man. I'm just never wrong. 
nobody liked that, as it turns out. That's not what people mean by the perfect guy. This is never wrong. That's not what they mean, just in, you know, to help you guys out here. If you think, when you hear women are holding out for Mr. Perfect, that doesn't mean he's never wrong. That's not the same thing, right? It, it'll wear out a relationship if, if uh, one person is never, ever, ever wrong. Are you prideful? It's a good question to ask. Uh, let me give you signs of pride. Here's six signs of pride for you. First of all, fault finding. You're always finding fault in others. How can you do that? Well, because you know what's right in every case. <laughs> you know, I always know what's right. I always know. And, you know, I can always help out. I'm not judgmental. I'm just observant. I know how to see things and help things out. A harsh spirit. Prideful people are not gentle. And people don't like being around them because they're very, very harsh. Uh, and it actually shows in their face. They have a very harsh face, too. Being superficial. Everything's about the impressions. What do people think about me? What do, they, what do they know? I don't care what's true. What do they think, right? Have I, have I fooled them? <laughs> That's what I care about. It, it's okay if, if, if it's not true, as long as nobody knows it's not true. They're always worried about impressions, and they're always defensive. You know, you can say any little things, they always be, you know, oh, wait a minute, and they're always ready to go to battle for the littlest, stupidest things. You didn't even mean anything by it, right? They can't ever let go of any little thing, but they always want attention. You know, they walk into a room, and it's all about them. It doesn't matter what the room is. doesn't matter what the room was discussing. But as soon as they walk in the room, it's got to be what, what they just did. You know, if you guys could just please talk, stop talking about whatever it was you were talking about because I have something really important to say right now. That's a, that's a sign of someone who has pride. And they're very, very self-centered. Everything's about them. Everything comes back to them, right? Go to a football game. Football team goes in the huddle they're convinced they're talking about them. You know, it's just like, it's got to be, everything's about them. So how do we escape out of pride? Because remember, haughty spirit and pride, they're on the same spectrum. It's like you walk into this room and it's hot. And say, it's too hot in here. I say, yeah, okay, I'll turn the air conditioning. I turn the air conditioning and it starts blowing cold air. And it takes a long time because at first it still feels hot. Then it kind of feels warm. Eventually, if you give it long enough, it'll feel cold in here. It's the same stuff, it's just further along until it gets to the cold part. That's how the haughty spirit and pride are. Haughty spirit is the same stuff as pride. But what's happened is, is further along. It's settling into your heart. And it's becoming permanent there. And when your heart gets proud, your heart gets hard. And you'll no longer listen to anyone, including the Lord. How do we escape that? Well, we know this. In James 4, he says, he gives more grace. That's how. That's how. If, if you want to know how you get out of it, you ask for more grace. God, I know I've got issues with pride. I know I do. I need your help. I need your grace in order to help me out of this. I need a special dose of grace. Don't just pray for God to help you out of pride because that's too open. <laughs> he might help you out of pride in this way because it says God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. He'll, he'll humble the proud. You don't want to be humbled by God. It works. I mean, God can humble you and take you out of that pride. It's painful though. It's better to ask for grace. It's a much better, better move. God, give me grace. Give me grace. I, I want to be humble. I want to have a, a soft heart that you can work with. I don't, I don't want to just find fault with everybody I, I wanted to simply live with you. Right? I ask for extra grace. If you ask for extra grace, God will give it to you. And it says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you because the devil is trying to lead you into pride. Because then you're one of his kids. If you're prideful, if, if you have a proud heart, you're not Jesus' kid. You're the devil's kid. Pride is not a fruit of the Spirit. Pride is a fruit of Satan. And if you're eating from that apple, you're his kid. 
So he's trying to pull you into it, but resist him. Resist him by asking for more grace. The bad news is there's no way you can live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. The good news is you don't need to because the Holy Spirit will come to you if you ask. Resist the devil. Ask for extra grace and be humble. Would you please pray with me?